<laughs> Simon, you are playing word jokes with a dyslexic. This is going to end badly for everyone. Um, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I am joined by the legend, the man, the myth that is Mr. Simon Phillips. Yes. How are you? Thank you. And by the way, I think it's according to Francis Rossi, it's actually pr pronounced leg end. <laughs> you are, I mean, Simon, you are playing word jokes with a dyslexic. This is going to end badly for everyone. Um, oh, no. <laughs> Um, Simon, you have been the drummer for, I mean, I don't even know where to start. Jeff Beck, Nick Kershaw, Mike Oldfield, The Who, Judas Priest, Joe Satriani, Hiromi, and obviously um, you are probably to some best known for being the drummer for Toto from 1992 to 2014. I guess it would kind of be easier to ask who you haven't played for, right? That is an, a massively impressive back catalogue. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's still, uh, you know, still many people that, that I haven't played for and, and uh, a couple of people that uh, were not so impressed, didn't want me. Um, <laughs> that, but that happens, you know, that always happens. I believe uh, Tom Schultz from Boston, mm -hmm. uh, somebody turned up at my house to do a recording session. And so I played this track and apparently he hated it. Absolutely hated it. I don't know why. And um, ACDC, I did a, 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 I was asked to do a record with them yeah. once. But they, uh, the manager, Stuart Young, called me and said, look, can you go and rehearse with the boys? And I went, well, I don't normally rehearse. I usually just turn up at the studio and do the record. Sure, you know? yeah, so, yeah, well, yeah. Kind of important. I went, oh, okay, you know. <laughs> and um, it was the funniest. I mean, we actually had... A beautiful time. There yeah. was a big power cut down at Stanbridge Hall, uh, <laughs> which was uh, near Gatwick. And uh, so we spent the whole evening just having dinner and drinking and, uh, nice. you know, because they had a naga so they could cook food and generate. They got generators in for the next day. And we played and, I mean, oh, it was just obviously wasn't going to work. I mean, Brian and Cliff were having a ball. We were having a great time. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But the, the brothers... They just didn't, right. they, you know, I don't play like that. I, I'm reactionary. If the singer does something, I'll do something. I'm that kind of player. They don't want any re reaction at all. They want it absolutely dead simple. And, you know, I I think halfway through the rehearsal, I think I just stood up and said, look, this obviously is not going to work. Yeah. No problem. You know, no hard feelings. We're really lo lovely, really lovely guys and, I actually met them later um, when I was, was living in LA and I was uh, I had a session to do at Ocean Way mm -hmm. and uh, I recognized the guitar tech, Alan Brogan, right. bless him, who's no longer with us, sadly. And he said, hey, come and say hello to the guys. I went, oh, okay, you know, so yeah, I walked yeah, yeah. in. And it was great, they were having lunch in the drum booth, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and Brian, bless him. He said, you gotta have a look at me. I mean, I couldn't understand a word he says. <laughs> And he lives in Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I'm English, you know. So, but he really wanted me to show. He wanted to show me his lyrics. So we went into the vocal booth, and he was showing me all that. It was so sweet. Amazing, so amazing. Long. Um, one of the, I mean, talk about going down memory lane for you. I, I would like to take you back even further, if I may. My first introduction to you, um, Simon, was actually um, when I purchased a DVD 
um, called Super Drumming. And this was from the 1980s with Pete York, Cozy Powell, um, Wolfgang Schmid, you know, all these, these, these great players. Um, and yeah. I think the record that you did was called Don't Step In It. And I remember being a teenager um, and watching you play this, this kind of three and a half minute quite upbeat funky um instrumental track with just fuck loads of polyrhythms basically and i remember watching and studying your playing and thinking there is a reason i think simon as to why whenever it is i'm chatting to a drummer that people seem to always cite you as one of their biggest influences and i think having that early viewing on that super drumming dvd i can completely see why but is that a compliment to you that you know sort of 30 40 years later you're still being cited as such a big inspiration to some of the world's biggest players now oh absolutely of course it, it's you know i mean it's lovely to to be you know revered or or mentioned or whatever you know um what's interesting over over here is a lot of the heavy metal dramas some of their introduction to heavy metal was sin after sin judas priest mm -hmm. And after that, Michael Schenker group. And it's so funny how, I mean, I get sometimes texts from like John Tempesta, for example, and he'll say, hey man, I'm listening to MSG, you know, and he'll ask a question, what were those drums? Or you know, yeah. where did you record that or whatever, you know? <laughs> I do remember, you know, a lot of, especially around that time, I remember the sessions very well. Do you? Actually, even, even today, yeah. So, and it, it, I find it, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I wouldn't say, well, it wasn't called heavy metal back then. We didn't no. have that term. It was called just heavy rock. And, and okay. uh, I played on a lot of heavy rock records. But funnily enough, uh, I didn't think of it as playing heavy rock because I always wanted to make it groove more. Yes. So I... I used to use a, a trick when I did sessions. Mm -hmm. I would always kind of play the opposite way to the way that people would imagine. Okay. So if it were a rock track, yeah, I would actually, believe it or not, I would kind of think, how would Bernard Purdy play this? <laughs> okay. Right? And then if it were a... Um, a um, more of a funk track, um, I would think, how would Ian Pace play this? Right, got you. Yeah. I would go splashier on, yes. the, on the funky stuff and I'd go kind of tighter on the, the rock stuff, rock you, music, you know, the rock style. You're, you're playing it, it, is, is, it's so disciplined but it has so much flair and, and and distinction um and i and i think from everything that i've seen of what you do that kind of speaks volumes um especially you know again kind of growing up um i remember the um the toto live in amsterdam dvd from uh, 2003 and and i just a, a, again you know as, as a drummer myself um i just i remember watching your playing and just thinking like how how do you do that you know how do you get those licks in there so quick and how are you how are you so on the beat like there's no other drummer that is as on the beat as you like that that's um, that's so difficult to to be that precise 
Oh, I, I think there are a lot of players that play like that. I mean, no, well, take the compliment. All, take the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. I mean, first of all, you've got Jeff Beccaro, yeah. who, you know, so many people cite Jeff as their, their main influence. Um, and um, <clears throat> Jeff and I kind of had a similar, although very different and on two different sides of the world, we had kind of a similar upbringing in that our fathers were both musicians mm-hmm. um, and um, we were thrust into the studios very early. I was probably in the studios earlier than Jeff. Uh, I, right. mean, I, was, I started doing sessions well, with my father. I, I started doing them when I was, I think my first session, I was 13 years old. Wow. So, but in terms of out in the big wide world, uh, outside of my dad's band, I was in the studio doing sessions when I was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And um, even though it may not be um, only years difference, but I, I had that, that, I guess that discipline or disciplinary upbringing of playing mm-hmm. music very, very early on. And Jeff also, he, he had a great discipline too. Plus, Time was just ground into me by my dad. Right. And okay. I think with Jeff, time was grounded to him by his father. Sure. And by all the great musicians he was around. Yes. So we both kind of had this, I guess, sensibility. Um, what I did with that discipline, uh, I wasn't happy to just play what everybody expected. I, I, there, there's quite a bit mm. of a the radical in me as well. Yes, uh, yes. As Pete Townsend said, I'm, I'm, uh, I play, uh, I'm an anarchic player. Right. So there is a certain <laughs> amount of anarchy and I will try stuff. I mean, uh, um, I don't play safe. No. I, I, I don't, I just play, but I do mind what the, what is the music telling me to play basically? Mm. That's really what it is. Is there an opportunity to make this a little different, a little more exciting. You take a risk, doesn't always work, but I've always been up for that. I've always tried to mm. look at something a little bit differently, which is hence why sometimes I don't play the normal rhythm that you would expect. I try to look at it from a, a, a different angle. I, honestly, um, I, I love your playing. I love everything about your playing. Um, I really, really do. And um, you know, for all those reasons that you've just stated, I think that is why you are so highly regarded in, in the world of drums. Um, I wanted to ask you, if I may, obviously you, you've mentioned um, Jeff. Was, was there, when you joined Toto after he passed away, was there a fine line between being able to breathe as an artist in yourself and putting your own spin on tunes that had already been recorded and tested live? Or did you have to, or did you feel that, for the fans of Toto at that time that you had to stick specifically to what Jeff had written and, and recorded. And I guess I asked that specifically with Rosanna. Um, <clears throat> you know, that situation came up uh, in, at various times. Um, probably any situation you get into with a band that's had a history and plays a tune like for example i think the first time would would probably be um jack bruce okay and with jack bruce we would play uh uh, sunshine of your love um and we play uh white room 
So already you're playing a piece of music that's already been played by another drummer. Yeah. In, in his case, Ginger Baker. But I think that's another thing. Because I had that experience with Jack, he his attitude, well, I mean, he would never turn around and say, uh, Ginger didn't play like that. You should play it like the way the way Ginger played it. He yeah. would never, ever say yeah. that. He has a much more jazz approach to his song. He's thinking of the song. He doesn't really care what the how you play it. No. It's how you interpret it. That's why he's picked me as the drummer and mm -hmm. picked Tony Hymas and Huey Burns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For him, it's just another version of the same song. Yes. And the same thing happened playing with Mick Jagger. I would do certain things that Charlie would play and I would change a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same with The Who. You know, yeah. there's certain things I would play. If there was a certain fill that really tickled me that, that Keith played, Keith Moon played, mm -hmm. I would do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, pure, I love it and I think it's great. But most of the time I did my own thing and that's what Pete wanted. He didn't, you know, he didn't want somebody copying no. and it was the same with Toto and I think that's the reason why they chose me mm -hmm. um, over all the you know many people they could have chosen in Los Angeles they didn't want somebody to go and try to copy Jeff right they wanted somebody with their own voice their yes. own sound so then it becomes a question of respect for the song yeah 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 well obviously uh, uh, Rosanna the, the 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 most notable thing about it is of course the Purdy Shuffle, mm -hmm. which had been around, by the way, quite a while. I played on plenty of tracks with that same groove years before. I yeah. mean, you know, it wasn't really anything new, but Jeff made it, it's it popularized was a hit and made it very popular. And of course, he played it absolutely beautifully. Mm. Um, so obviously you got to play the same groove. Mm -hmm. It's the song. But I would play it differently. I would do the phrases my own way. Uh, I know, you know, having obviously played that song for, you know, over 21 years, yeah. um, I know the way that, that Jeff phrased it and uh, those, those licks, you know, the, the, the brass licks. Um, I wouldn't be able to do it that way because, first of all, I'm, I'm ambidextrous and mainly left-handed. Yes. So things come out very differently. Um, plus I phrase things differently, mm. you know, so a lot of that is different, but in the big picture, still the same song, still the same groove. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, so it's really out of respect to the song. Yes. I get that. I get that. The player, I understand. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. obviously I'm not saying I, I'm very respectful of all the, you of know, course. All the songs that you played on, but it's when you come to that, I think of the music. I, I don't try to copy somebody. No. I just no. think, what is this song? You know, so it's a it's a mixture. And yeah, mixture yeah. No, I get that. I get that. That's a it's a fair answer. Um, you and I, before we um before we sort of went live with this, um, I, I briefly made a spinal tap quip at you because you're the only person I've ever interviewed who has two separate Wi-Fi's uh, in their own home, which is pretty impressive. But you have played <laughs> with a an enormous collection of musicians over the years. I'm sure you can probably tell where this question is going. What, Simon, in all your active years of being both a band member, a session drummer, and somebody that's called upon, you know, constantly for work, what has been the biggest spinal tap moment of your career? Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Let's name oh, and shame some, some some people. Let's do it. No, oh, <laughs> gosh. I've got to think. I've got to think. Well, uh, I mean, I think John Entwistle will probably gets in some ways the the the, the best uh, the best award for that because he would have on stage a huge rig. Right. His bass rig was larger yeah. than most band PAs, <laughs> and he had an absolutely identical rig set up in the wings as well, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Um, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, let me think. Uh, Jeff Beck. Yeah. When we would travel to the states, and now I'm talking late seventies, early eighties. Okay. You could not get Heinz fifty-seven baked beans in the oh, states. Okay. There were. <laughs> you could not get vegetarian baked beans in the states. Of they course. all had bacon in them, or sausages, mm. or something. So when we're checking in to fly over there, he's got this big crate, 24 cans of Heinz baked beans he's cooking <laughs> in. And we're looking, we're going, oh, wow. And then the next thing he's checking in is like a, a diff right. from one of his old hot rods right. that he's taking over to LA to fit to another car. And he's checking that in. It was hilarious. He didn't have a guitar. There were no guitars checked at all. <laughs> It was hilarious. <laughs> well, legend has it that um, Nigel Tufnell was actually based on Jeff Beck. That's yes. that's what 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 the rumor has. Um, but that, that, definitely, they are definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I do have to. There's a lovely story with Jeff, which will will be in my book. We flew. This is probably around 1986 or 87. And mm -hmm. we're just starting to, we've just recorded Primitive Cool with Mick Jagger. Nice. And we're putting a band together. So Mick invited us both over to, um, to do a bit of rehearsing. So we flew from Heathrow, uh, 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 Virgin Atlantic over to New York. And um, we were there for a few days and, mm -hmm. and we were rehearsing. And we flew back. And of course, you know, when you come back from the States, especially in those days, customs. When you had long hair and rheumatization, right. nine times out of 10, they, they stopped you. Yeah. And there was this young lady uh, customs officer who was absolutely sure she had a bust. Right, okay. So, so we're kind of waiting uh, and on those metal benches and yeah. Jeff's got his guitar case and we're kind of waiting kind of like you know for her to sort herself out she's gone to see the supervisor <laughs> so he opens the case gets the guitar out sits on the metal bench and just starts noodling <laughs> now there's a an incredible sound of a Fender Stratocaster yeah. being played when it's not plugged into an amplifier yeah and a speaker and especially by Jeff Beck and especially, and people are coming off the, we, we were traveling in, in uh, first or, or upper class, so we were off fairly early. And all the rest of the passengers are coming through and they're going, that's, that's Jeff Beck. That's, yeah. you know, and they're walking very slowly, listening to him going, you know, and it was hilarious. And I'm watching this plus, but I'm keeping my eye on the customs right. officer. And she's gone to talk to the supervisor, and the supervisor has got his shirt sleeve rolled up. You know, sure, yeah, shirt. yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> and he's going, yeah, yeah. And he looks over, he sees us, and he looks at her and goes, <laughs> and shakes his head. And she's like, and she's really visibly pissed off. Right. <laughs> and she comes out, okay, you can go. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. But, yeah, I mean, That's... so that, that was a lovely moment. But it's quite spinal tap if you think about that it. That is yeah. that is sensational. Um, I've told this story to, to somebody else who mentioned Jeff Beck, actually, another guest. And um, weirdly, uh, he lives next door to my aunt and uncle. So um, if you're ever up really late at night, you can hear him. You basically get a free Jeff Beck concert because you can hear him kind of whittling oh. away his guitar. Um, so, you know, it I saves you money on tickets, really. <laughs> Simon, COVID um, hit the music and... Oh, sorry, I'm going to start that again. COVID hit the music industry really quite hard. Um, and I would say, yeah. arguably, the, the emerging scene was hit potentially the hardest um, because it takes longer for an unsigned artist to recover from something so catastrophic for their career. You know, somebody like yourself, you can get back out on tour. You're already with big names. What would your advice yeah. be to an aspiring musician, regardless of genre, that wanted to, you know, push their career to the next step? Wow, that's 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 really difficult for me to answer because um, I'm not really in that arena anymore. I'm way too old for for, for a start. Plus, I'm not uh, very good with social media. I, I don't really want to be. Um, no. But uh, what, what what I do know is that that, that, that younger acts it's it's all reliant on social media. Mm. and it's all reliant on multitasking i mean it's not just writing the music and recording it i mean that's the easy part yeah it's all the other stuff you have to do and you have to create your own market i mean yes. it's it's i don't know how people do it i mean i'm producing various artists who are in that boat they're in that mm -hmm. same boat but they're incredible the way they do all their social marketing and mm. you know deal deal with that um but the reality is, is that reflected in sales? Mm. I mean, this has been a huge game changer, especially from my point of view, from a producer. You know, back in the 80s and 90s, we would sign a, a deal with a record company and there would be an advance against royalties mm -hmm. and there would be, you know, there's investment into the record and there'll be yeah. hopefully a certain amount of sales. And that's how you make your, your living as a, as a producer. But now... It's mostly, frankly, you're, do, you're doing it, uh, you're really doing it for free or you're doing it on a fee basis. Right. So, for example, a band will approach me and say, we'd really like you to produce us. Would you be able to do it? And I, I listen to the music and I say, well, do you have a budget? They said, yeah, we do. We have a budget, blah, 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 blah. And I go, mm. okay. And if I like the music, if I think it's something I can, you know, um, do something with mm. and benefit them, uh, then I'll, then I'll do it. But that's from my end. That's how that's, that's changed. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I get and that. it's very, very difficult. I mean, and, but the good thing, there are so many different business models now. Mm. I just did a, um, cruise, a prog rock cruise. I saw. Cruise to the edge. I saw. Yeah. And, and I met, well, first of all, I met the drummer of Marillion, Ian Mosley, who I hadn't seen probably since 1978. Wow. 
So it was absolutely lovely to see him after all these years and yeah, catch yeah. up. And, and I went to see their show. It was fantastic. Um, and there was another band, too, called Life Signs. Mm-hmm. And actually, I stole their sound engineer. <laughs> because I... <laughs> yeah, I did. I was... Uh, I always, you know, at, when, at any of these kind of gigs, festivals, I always go around, listen, and mm-hmm. just have a... You know, check out what's happening. And, uh, you know, to me, the most important thing about a, a sounding good at a concert is the engineer. Absolutely. It's the sound engineer. It'll make you make or break it. So... And I knew, uh, uh, you know, it was... Uh, it just needed a bit somebody that was a little bit more, you know, attention to detail. And turned out that uh, the uh, engineer um, was really up for doing it. So I nice. said, well, great, fantastic. So of course I went to see their show and sat next to to, to him at the uh, the show. Um, now they're doing a whole different thing. They're doing a, it's like a it's like a GoFundMe type scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they raise their budget by people uh, contributing sure. and then they get their album out. So, you, you know, there's a, a Marillion have been doing that for years too. They right. They have a record company all themselves. Wow. And I think that's a really cool thing. It's a great way to do it. Never been able to happen in the seventies or the eighties. So, uh, you know, I mean, yes, it is very tough. There's also a lot more artists out there too. I wonder if that's true. Uh, I wonder if that is, I'm just being devil's advocate here. Um, And I've got six minutes until our meeting runs out. So I'm just very quickly racking my brains. Um, But I I wonder if it is true that there are more musicians out there or if it's that the internet has just made those musicians that weren't perhaps uh, discoverable back in uh, the 70s, 80s, 90s. You know, maybe the internet has has managed to give them a platform for exposure. I I wouldn't know. Um, Um, I think... I think there's the opportunity to become a musician. I think that is easier. First of all, you can buy something very cheap that will that you can record to. It's true. You can yeah. make you know pretty good tracks at home. Um, so I think it's it's encouraging. But I, I actually do think there are more. There's more people playing instruments, writing music. Possibly. Um, yeah. But you know, uh, but on the other hand. Back in the day, it was only the people that were signed that yes. you really heard of. And a friend of yours that was trying to get signed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like I I could just talk to you for hours and, you know, have a few beers with you and, you know, really kind of uh, dive deeper into your work and you as a musician. Um, but one thing we haven't touched upon that we absolutely must is your brand new album, Protocol 5, which is out now. I've listened to it. I've loved it. I listened. I always listen to albums and songs when they're first released on headphones. I felt like I was sitting in the middle of Ronnie Scott's. It was absolutely amazing. So um, my, my last question to you is, are you bringing Protocol 5 to the UK? Well, I'm, Really hope so. We the answer is yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously we will. Um, I wanted to do it this year, um, but the the and it's it's funny because there are a lot of people touring right now. Yeah. But the problems, as you know, we've got a, a war going on in mm-hmm. in Eastern Europe. Uh, we've got very high fuel prices, which makes touring much more expensive. Mm. Um, and, um, my, uh, tour manager who is actually, uh, he, he lives in Zagreb in Croatia. So he's very tuned in to what's happening, you know, bands on the road and touring generally, he advised against it. He said, let's wait till 2023. Okay. 
He says, I don't see how we're really going to quite put together a worthwhile tour, which, you know, we can afford to do. Because the thing about touring is it is tough, and especially playing the kind of size venues that the protocol would play, yeah. um, it's tough to make the make it work, make the figures work, literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm too old to, you know, go out and... Start touring and uh, you know and, and pay for it. You know, a huge bill at the end of the, the tour. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I yeah. do draw the line. After all these years, I draw, I draw the line there. Um, I just want to be able to. I want to be able to pay the guys in the band properly what they deserve, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, and and do it in a in a reasonable at a reasonable level, and mm. comfort. At, 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 I think my age, I think I can do that. You know. Definitely. Um, and you know, and play play some really good venues, and we'll definitely be doing Ronnie Scotts. We we actually had some days booked, I believe, in August, but we had to cancel them, postpone them till next year. But well, yes, we will definitely come over. Yeah. When you do play Ronnie Scotts, Simon Phillips, and you let me in for free so that we can share a few beers before, <laughs> um, I will certainly be there. And um, thank you so much for coming on. It has been a real pleasure for me to to talk to um, one of my idols. So thank you. Thank you.